Testing, testing. Okay. Marlo, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good evening, everyone. Hunter, are you there? I am. All right, great. Miss Terry, are you there? I'm here. Can you guys hear me? I got to turn up a little bit. We can't hear you that well. Just a little bit. Can you hear me now? All righty. Yeah. James, are you there? Yes, I am. All righty. Great. I, I didn't hear Terry that well. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Good evening. Welcome to Cliff Burton and Friends. This evening, we have a special show for you. And we're going to be talking to a very special guest. But before we do get, let's review our mission of our show is to emphasize women in athletics and HBCU sports. We also want to emphasize our women of the month. And that is none other than Miss or Coach Pat Summit, the late Lady Balls coach who won 1,098 basketball games and set a level of excellence that many have tried to follow. Now, we also want to talk about in a few weeks, two weeks from now, we have a special guest, Dr. Ivana Rich. She's the first African-American female to be the athletic director at Edwards Waters College in Florida. And she's gonna bring us some insights into that position. We wanna get started this evening with our first guest, Miss Terry Williams, known better as a triple threat. She's excelled at basketball. She's excelled in singing and now She's excelling in the sciences. Uh, Ms. Williams basketball started in the state of North Carolina. She developed into a high school star at six feet tall and was recruited by many schools or colleges across the nation. She would go on to choose Virginia Tech. And while at Virginia Tech, she scored 1,750 points. She played in three NCAA tournaments. She was a women's basketball news service freshman All-American and earned Associated Press All-American honorable mentions. In 2001, this Virginia Tech player was drafted by the WNBA. The Phoenix Mercury chose her in the third round. She didn't make the league, but she went on to pursue a career. She played in Austria, Ecuador, Israel, Russia, and Spain before retiring in 2007. She also there from there went on to pursue a singing career in Montreal, touring with her uncle Warren Slim Williams. And she has a beautiful, beautiful voice. She would do that for a few years. She auditioned to American Idol in 2004 and The Voice in 2010. 
but she would return to her first love, a love that was determined way back in grade school, a love for the sciences. And now she is a doctoral candidate at Albert Einstein College. She's also an entrepreneur. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to our show, none other than our triple threat, Miss Terry Williams. And thank you for that. Okay, Miss Williams, can you hear us? I can hear you just fine. And thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. All righty. So our first interview tonight will be with myself and Dr. Marlo Kemp. So tell us, how does a young lady from Chapel Hill really was asked about basketball in the third grade, take us from there just through high school and how basketball, but also your vision for the sciences come about? Yeah, it's actually a really beautiful story was adopted essentially into a basketball team um, made up of sisters. Um, the team was composed of primarily three families that were best friends across the older siblings all the way down. And what I mean by that is um, in the third grade, as you mentioned, I was approached by one of the daughters of the Kaiser family. Her name is Katherine Kaiser because I was tall. And she asked me if I played basketball. Um, to that point in my life, I had never played basketball at all, even though my father was um, an NFL football player, all store, you know, triple threat sportsman out of North Carolina as well. I had never played. Um, and so I went home and asked my dad what basketball was, and that started everything. With the Kaiser family, there was another family called the Kolbinskis, and I was very tall. I developed really quickly um, as far as my height was concerned, but Catherine and one of the girls in the Kolbinski family, her name was Anna, they were really, really close in height to myself, and we all became best friends. And their older sisters who played together were also best friends, and so were their older sisters. So it was really just... Uh, you know, three families, my younger sisters were best friends with their younger sisters, and we all played in little league and middle school and all the way through high school together. It was really a beautiful relationship, and um, we won a lot of games. <laughs> wow. what, what, what players, uh, female or male, did you learn the game from or idolize? You're down in North Carolina, basketball country. Right. So, so who did you begin to idolize early? Oh my gosh. Um, I think what's really going to shock you is I was really interested in sports outside of basketball. I was obsessed with Florence Griffith Joyner mm -hmm. growing up. I ran track as well. I was actually better in track than I was in basketball, but um, I was obsessed with gymnastics and ice skating. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't until I actually started playing basketball that I started to have people that I was really just, 
you know, um, overwhelmed by as far as how good they were on the court, but they were my peers. It wasn't really someone who was ahead of me. Like I had no idea who Lisa Leslie was at that point in my life. Um, my idols, I wouldn't say idols. I would just say people that I highly respected were girls that played in AAU leagues with me, like Shay Ralph from Carolina, from Fayetteville, North Carolina, who ended up committing to UConn, for example. Um, yeah, but I, I really didn't have any, any players that I knew were, were great. Of course I respected the players, um, but I just didn't have anybody that I, I idolized and looked up to. It was really women that played other sports or even men's basketball players. Wow. Now you come from a family, you have six brothers and sisters combined. Did that add to your competition? (laughs) um in in a lot of ways it did my older brother was very good in sports he ended up playing um basketball at Wheaton College in Massachusetts as a d3 that's a d3 school um but I I there wasn't any competition in the sense that you know I wanted to compete against them I just wanted to be better than I was the day before there were a lot of basketball games that were played in my neighborhood with neighbors, outdoor basketball games. And of course I was always included and in school during gym period or during lunch when we had a break, I was um, the only girl who was on the basketball court with boys shooting hoops, you know, who can make the most threes or let's play a quick game of three on three or horse or whatever. So I can tell you that while I didn't necessarily have people that I wanted to be like or play like, I definitely, definitely wanted to play. So you get to high school or junior high, you're six feet tall or 5'11". When did you start realizing, hey, I'm, I'm a little better than most kids and I, I, I really can excel at this? Right. Um, I think that it really dawned on me personally really late. I really thought that I was that people um, overvalued my basketball ability. For example, Mr. Kaiser, who is the father and patriarch of the Kaiser family, he's a doctor, and we'll you know get to that in a second because I know you asked me about my love of science. Um, he really saw the athleticism very early. Now, mind you, when I started playing in the third grade, I was about nine or 10, but I recall very vividly being very bad at the game of basketball in the early practices. And we were practicing in a gym in our, um, in our community and we lived in the boondocks, right? But, um, the community rec center that would let us play for free. It was a dusty floor. It was super slick. The water fountains were rusty. So we were drinking like rusty water. It was really, really, really the, 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 (laughs) you know, poor resources, but we showed up anyway and we were ready to get busy. And he asked me, it was either the first or second practice. Um, and when you're that young, you don't play on 10 foot rims, you play on eight foot rims. But I do recall very clearly him taking a moment at the end of practice and asked me if I could dunk on an eight foot rim. 
And I Ooh. tried it and I came close, but I didn't actually dunk on an eight foot rim um, in practice, but he saw the athleticism and he pushed me. And in fact, in middle school, when I didn't play very much, he would always tell me not to worry. And, you know, he didn't understand why the coach never played me. In high school, it was very clear. In the ninth grade, I started on the vas on the varsity team, and I was a key player for our varsity team as as a ninth grade freshman. So mm -hmm. it was really then that it was unquestionable that people saw talent in me and and wanted to see what more I could develop. By the time I was a senior, wow. Now let's go back to middle school, and also bring us up through high school about how the love for your sciences, they began simultaneously as you developed in basketball. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, it's still connected with my best friends. Um, Catherine, who was the daughter of a doctor, wanted to be a doctor. Our other best friend, Anna Kolbinski, she wanted to be a veterinarian. And I wanted to be a doctor as well. And so we had a dream of owning a hospital where we would be able to treat and um, deliver care to people and humans. Now, of that, you know, Catherine is a doctor. She's a hospitalist in Wake County. Anna is a nurse living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm a scientist. I think for me, what I realized is that there are other ways to deliver care to human beings. And a lot of what doctors are able to prescribe and the way that they approach patients comes from a lot of research that is conducted by scientists. And so I didn't really understand about the science route until way beyond high school, but I have always had a love of how things live and thrive, ecology, biology, chemistry even. I've always been fascinated with the how and why of, of the world. And I guess, um, you know, being able to go to college to help explore that further has just been a huge blessing. And of course, basketball paid for that. Okay. We're going to have a little break in our schedule, about a minute, and then we'll come back, we'll make our announcement, and then we're going to talk some more with Terry Williams, the Triple Threat.
All righty. So we're back with Miss Terry Williams. Now, you're recruited by many in high school. And tell us about the recruitment processes, process, and then where you chose to go. And tell us about your career at Virginia Tech, the Hokies. Um, the recruiting process back in the day was really um, fascinating for me because it's really um, a red carpet for student athletes that these schools are interested in. Um, I believe it was about the 10th grade where I started getting letters from, you know, universities all over the country. I mean, I had trash bags, gallon trash bags full of just letters from everywhere and they would arrive every so often. Um, but it really came down to two schools. It came down to Virginia Tech and Tulane. And I was so torn with who to choose that I, this is a true story, I ended up flipping a coin. Um, with Tulane, they had a medical school associated with their university, which I was fascinated by. Um, but on my visit to New Orleans, it was very clear that it was an environment that was really going to be a distraction for me. I love music. I really love jazz. And New Orleans being one of the jazz capitals, I just saw myself being pulled away from academics and what I was actually there for. So the coin toss was Virginia Tech, and I happily committed. And the same year that I committed, the head coach and the assistant coach, all of the staff, they were let go. And so I committed and then had new people who had not recruited me end up taking over the program. So that was that was interesting. But um, Bonnie Hendricks, who was the head coach from my freshman year forward, um, really excellent strategist, knows what she's doing. The rest of the staff were incredible, and we were pretty, we were very successful, actually. The program was turned around, I believe, the year that I came, we were 22 and 10. And the year before I arrived, we were 10 and 22. So that's really just Bonnie taking the tools and elements that were there and using them to, you know, an <laughs> to an advantage that was able to be successful in the Atlantic 10. So remember, Virginia Tech has gone through several iterations of, of conferences from the programs. When I joined, we were in the Atlantic 10. All right, now tell me about your individual scoring and rebounding progression because you eventually ended up in the Virginia Tech's Athletic Hall of Fame when you left there. But tell us about your progression athletically from year to year. Yeah, I, I wish I could say something that sounds very... Um, passionate <laughs> about the sport, but really I just was on the floor and I tried to contribute to my team so that we could win games. End of story. Um, I wasn't the best uh, reader of scouting reports. <laughs> For me, it was really just, they're my opponent. They're who we need to beat today. And I'm going to do everything that I can to beat them. If it was passing to a teammate who had a better, you know, who was hot, I would pass if it was I need to get dirty and get on the ground and get some of these steals or loose balls, then I would do that. I, I think that by focusing on other things, I, I just was put in 
position where the points just came to me. I didn't seek to be the all-time, you know, second all-time leading scorer or rebounder. I really just went on the floor and did what needed to be done to try to win the game. Um, and it, it just so happened I was, I, you know, I was really good at it. <laughs> I was really good <laughs> at it. Yeah. Who, who, now you made it to the NCAA two or three yes. years in a row. Yeah. Who is that player that you waited the matchup with that was not in your conference and you just, if you did, you relished to play him and meet up with him in the tournament or a coach who recruited you and you chose not to go there or a coach, a coach who you, who should have recruited you and you want to show them now that they messed up and missed out. <laughs> who is that? Um, well, there was, there was, you know, a lot of interesting things that happened. I think that people really were interested in me as a player, but the idea of a slasher wasn't really very popular when I was coming, uh, when I was coming up, it was really the three guard played more of an outside shooting role. And honestly, I think coaches had a hard time trying to figure out where they could put me at six feet, 150. I was undersized and too light to play post in the SEC, for example. Like um, you're mentioning when we went to the NCAA tournament, um, what I will say, and this speaks to, you know, your woman of the month for this month, um, we faced up against University of Tennessee in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1999 in the Sweet 16 tournament. And one of the things that I really, really appreciated about Pat Summit was she said some very, very nice things about me as a player, um, being able to do some of the things that I was able to do at my size. And during that tournament, we did end up losing, but um, we played our hearts out. We only lost by 16, you know what I mean? And I think that that year we ended up being our top rank was, I think we were at top 10. I think we broke 10 at some point during that season. Um, but I was recruited by University of Tennessee. I just had no interest in going there. The schools that were of interest to me were University of Connecticut, Stanford, Duke, and obviously um, Virginia Tech and Tulane. But they were all different schools that were of interest for me um, for very different reasons. Miss mm -hmm. Williams, we have a question in the chat from Jeffrey Butts. Miss Williams, obviously your approach to life is well-rounded. What advice would you give the young women or men looking to enter into collegiate or professional sports? That's a really good question. Um, sports has changed so much, especially collegiate sports with the NIL and the NCAA allowing um, student athletes to be paid and to have deals. What I would say for the student athletes that are entering into their colleges and universities as a student athlete at this time is to definitely concentrate on why you're there. It's very, very easy to be distracted. Not that you don't want to take care of or take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves, but just remember why you're there. Be coachable and get your grades um, and, and the education that you're there for. Everything else will follow. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Williams, a follow-up question to that 
you know, it seems that in the women's division, or at least historically, the women have done a, a lot better job of getting their degrees than the men. Now I'm throwing football, basketball, everything in there. Tell us about the emphasis that your coach uh, at, at Virginia Tech placed on you guys getting your degrees. Yeah, so as far as education is concerned, we had mandatory study hall until we could show that we didn't need study hall. And the demonstration that you didn't need study hall was getting above a 3-3, I believe, an A average in any of your classes. And so for Bonnie, one of the things that she wanted to make sure that she had on her record was a 100% graduation rate for any of the student athletes that were mm -hmm. under her tenure. And so um, it was definitely, definitely stressed um, study hall. We had study hall even on the road um, and away <laughs> games to make sure that we were getting our work done. And it takes discipline and it takes strength order to make sure that that happens because you have to understand sometimes you're on a plane at two in the morning or on a bus at three in the morning trying to get back from an away an away game not just game one game but maybe several games when you've been on the road and you know you have classes the next morning starting at eight so one of the things that you really really have to do is make sure that you get that study time in and thankfully for us um, it was built into our away game curriculum if not um, when we were at home before or after practice. So Bonnie, Bonnie did an excellent job making sure that um, studies came first. All righty. We have a couple of questions in the chat, but what I want to do, go to commercial. Now let me share this with our audience. Kenny Anderson is having problems getting or getting into the line. Jim is continuing to work on it and he's keeping me updated, but we're going to continue on with our triple threat. So we're going to have a one minute commercial break and then we'll be right back.
All righty. We're back with the triple threat. Miss Terry Williams, doctoral candidate, Terry Williams. And we're going to read two questions from the chat, and then we're going to let Dr. Kemp, and we're going to ask our other interviewees or interviewers, especially Miss Hunter. We're going to open up your mic. We'll continue on with Miss Terry Williams. Here's a question in the chat. What would you recommend to those interested in STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and math? Yeah, um, STEM is amazing. And what I would um, do for the student athletes who are interested in STEM programs or anyone who is interested in STEM programs is for the discipline that you're interested in, whether it's science, technology, engineering, or math, to get some undergraduate experience in a laboratory that is doing research in any of those areas um, and start you know, with the research process, understanding the scientific method and getting a mentor um, to help you with what you want your career to look like. Maybe sometimes you just want to get your toes wet, but some of these student athletes who enter into um, college are stunted because of how much time it really, really takes to practice. A lot of people I know that wanted to be engineers um, passed on that degree because of the hours on the football field, for example. However, with you know a really sharp focus, it is definitely possible. It's going to be tough, but it is possible. So with a mentor, they can help guide you with setting the boundaries for study time, um, personal time, doing whatever, to help make sure that you get the hours that you need to do well and be successful in your curriculum to get that done. Uh, the second thing that I would do is I would seek not just study groups, but postgraduate programs that are focused on STEM education and STEM careers beyond higher education and advanced degrees like a master's degree or a PhD. Those offer you just more resources. Um, they're sponsored by the NIH in a lot of cases or the National Institutes of Health. And um, being able to be within the fold, you have a lot of resources that are at your disposal to take advantage of to help you through, to see you through to that master's or PhD degree in that STEM field. Second question. And then uh, Dr. Kemp is going to come on. I'm also going to ask uh, Ms. Hunter, Mark Jones, and anyone who has a question uh, to to chime in because I don't see Coach Anderson yet in the co-host room. So we're still having trouble of getting him in the co-host room where uh, he can speak to us. So you're a triple threat. Well, Ms. Hunter, go ahead and, and, and speak your question. I have on my <laughs> Yeah, it, it is um, my question. But my question is basically you're a triple threat with your music, athletics, and education. So I was just wondering if you could speak on the importance of athletes who may not make it to professional leagues not being so one-dimensional because they come into college and um, think they're making it to the league and then they're not. And then they're kind of just out there on their own and they haven't focused on their education or they haven't focused on like other hobbies and um, things that they're interested in. And then they're lost a little bit. Right. So I just want to put forth this idea that um, it's not just the athletes who have gotten their degree who are 
focused, right? There are athletes who have gotten their degree and are still lost after completing their um, eligibility, I would say, in college. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's kind of a misnomer to be called one-dimensional. I think that what you have is a lot of misguided um, student athletes who are maybe in a system that isn't really listening to them because it is actually really hard. Imagine going to practice 40 hours a week and then having mandatory weight training at least seven hours a week, maybe even 10 in some cases, especially in the summer. Can you imagine the fatigue <laughs> that you are under when you're forced to now sit down and learn something that you may not be very comfortable learning or that you may not have um, been giving the right study tools to learn. And so what I, th what I think we are seeing now is I think that rather than one dimension, what I think we are, what I think we really are seeing is we're seeing student athletes who are taking advantage of branding opportunities, right? So how, how would I say this? So I think that even though student athletes are going and are getting lost, part of it is the structure of the program that they're going to. Part of it is self-discipline. Um, but the other part is not being afraid to go after what it is that you want. So for me, I actually wanted to explore the arts and theater when I was in college. And I, <laughs> to be very frank, I was told no, that I had started with biology and that I needed to finish biology. But it was really something that I felt that I needed to explore. And thankfully, I was given a platform to explore that at some point. What I do think is that there are some people who may go through all the traditional um, the traditional route, I would say, and just go straight through college, get into a job, go to the next step, whatever that job is, and advance in their career. And then they hit kind of like a platform in their life where they look around and said, man, I didn't have any ch or a chance or I didn't give myself a chance to explore some of these other dimensions of myself that I never really had time to because I've spent so much of my youth playing all of these different sports to explore. So one of the things that I, I would say for those who have lots of talents and aren't really sure which direction that they want to go, give yourself some grace to explore your opportunities to have a professional career and those other things if you have the opportunity to do these to do this and and see how you like it. Um, I was never afraid to try new things. I certainly was never afraid to start over in a new career area <laughs> from scratch. Um, but a lot of people are afraid um, to do that because, you know, they see their peers, like my peers right now are calling me up. Hey, do you want to come vacation with us in Bora Bora for Christmas? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so there is a cost to, to you know, taking advantage of some of these um, opportunities. But you know, some people, some people do take advantage as I did, but others who have not, you know, they have multiple houses and all over the world. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> the next few questions I want to ask uh, Dr. Marlon Kemp, who is a scientist, to come on and just uh, get a few questions uh, that she has for you. Terry. Absolutely. Sure. Hi, Terry. How are oh, you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year to you. Um, I just had a, 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 a couple of questions. Um, can you just share with us your experience in terms of playing overseas just for those young ladies who may be interested or trying to pursue um, a career in the WNBA um, or, even, or even outside of playing um, in the WNBA where they would have to go overseas? Can you just share your experience um, yeah, with that? Um Absolutely. I'm sorry to cut you off. It, that's okay. a that's a lot of questions in one. But what I would say is this: um, as a female athlete, a female basketball player, it is very well understood that the WNBA, up until two years ago, did not pay the student athletes a living wage for one year. Right? That's a very nice wage for three months. But what are these athletes to do for the rest of the nine months of the year? These athletes would typically go overseas and play well you know a professional player overseas can be anyone who's receiving any sort of um, monetary gain in exchange for playing and that monetary gain could be 300 euros which translates to about who knows like 420 dollars to tens of thousands of, of dollars usd and so my advice would be to make sure that you have a reputable agent and a ticket round trip in your hand before you go over there, just in case there is something that isn't right with the team, the team paying you on time, or if it becomes something that's a dangerous situation for you, always have that return ticket to come home. And that's pretty standard, right? Um, written into your contract before you arrive to the location or the team that you want to play for, you should make sure that you have uh, somewhere to live, either a rented apartment with someone else or alone, um, and uh, a food stipend if you can get it. But, you know, having that agent, he's going to be the one who is going to be um, able to put that contract together with the team and making sure that it's a reputable agent is is just you couldn't do yourself a better service than to have a really like vet your vet your agent you know what i mean you don't want to get into a situation where you're now somewhere where the team is refusing to play uh, to pay you on time your full salary and now you're kind of stuck without a ticket to go home being paid pennies um, there are some horror stories i've seen them with my own eyes even experienced one kind of um, but at the end of the day, I had that ticket to go home. So I was, I was okay. All right. Any and I, I just had a quick follow-up question yeah. too. Was it, when you played in the various, um, countries, was it easy to, or difficult to communicate? Did you have to learn the languages? How quickly, you know, were you able to, you know, kind of learn the language and commun able to communicate? Um, you know, just by playing over there in, in the different country, countries? Mm -hmm. That's a really wonderful question. And the reality of the situation is I'm a little bit different. Um, I am a polyglot and I enjoy learning languages. So every country that I played, I was really intent on learning the language. Um, not everyone is the same. And so they often rely on a translator if they can have it or whoever on the team that they're playing for all, that also speaks English, which might be broken. Um, in the beginning, for example, when I played in Russia, um, I learned Russian 
and I, from the alphabet all the way up to speaking very basic phrases, I learned it because I wanted to learn it, but more importantly, I wanted to be able to communicate with my teammates. I think that there are people um, that you hear about that learn other languages as well. For example, Diana Tarazi. I wonder, I, th I think I heard that she now speaks Italian or if it's Sue Bird that speaks Spanish fluently. I can't remember which one. Um, but, you know, people do learn, but they've also had seven years of living nine months a year in these different countries, right? So it's kind of, um, it, it, it's, it's kind of as a, a world citizen, if you don't learn the language of these countries that you're spending so much time, it's kind of a disservice to the culture of where you have the opportunity to experience firsthand if you don't, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, for me personally, I learned it because I am enamored uh, with languages, as I have said, um, and it makes life easier, but there are people who do depend on, um, on uh, those translators. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. You may hear us test. We believe we have Coach Anderson with us, uh, but we're going to take a short music break and if it's not, we can't get them through. To continue with this great conversation with Triple Threat and soon-to-be Dr. Terry Williams. If it is Coach Anderson, we'll introduce him and we'll move forward with the show. And we will thank you at the end of the show again. So let's stand by and let's take a break. All righty. Testing. Coach Anderson, are you there? Yes, I do, Coach. I'm going to put you on mute, and we'll come back and introduce you, and we're ready to go. Thanks right. so much, Coach. We're looking forward. All right. All right, Before we get to coach, I just want to make sure again on this segment, and we'll do it at the end, thank you so much for that very informative session with none other but Triple Threat and soon to be Dr. Terry Williams. Our next guest really needs no introduction. So we'll give you just a few, few keywords or hints. The Frack City Playground legend, Queens, New York, Archbishop 
Malloy High School, freshman, city champion, Georgia Tech, Final Four, the leader of Lethal Weapon 3 in basketball, played for Bobby Cremins, 1991, first round, second pick by the New Jersey Nets, 15 years in the NBA, an all-star, averaged approximately 12 points, and anybody that's seen him play knows he could dish that ball. He also stresses education. After a successful NBA career, he came back and he went and got his bachelor's degree in 2010 in organizational behavior. He's coached at the high school level, and now he's the men's head basketball coach at Fisk University. Coach Kenny Anderson not only stresses the game, and by the way, the Fisk Bulldogs came off of a win yesterday against Oakwood University, their first conference game of the season. But also, the Fisk University men's basketball team for the first semester made the athletic director's dean's list with seven players that had a 3.4 GPA or higher. Let's welcome her to the Cliff Burt Show, and the interview will be led by my co-host, and I'm going to say this, Fisk University's class of 1985, a golf legend, James Waddell. He'll be assisted by Miss Hunter Hawkins, and I believe we may have Mark Jones on the show as well. So let's give everybody a hand. And Jim, I'll let you take it away with Coach Anderson. Coach. <clears throat> Coach, congratulations on your win last night against Oakwood. But I, I rewatched Point God's movie again. I love that movie. And I wanted to ask you the first question. Why are New York point guards so good? I, <laughs> I don't know why we're so good. But I know why we, they say when I came up, when I was playing, we couldn't shoot the ball from the outside. But we had, you know, crazy handles, as they would say. So we, we could control the ball. And I think it's a lot of players in different playgrounds of New York where I've learned where I learned the game at. Everywhere we, we've got five boroughs, and when you wanted to compete, not on your your high school level, uh, in the summers, that I lived in the gym, the recreation centers, and in the parks. Growing up, all all I wanted to do was play basketball, and be able to take care of my mother. Because I look at the list. I mean, I'll go back even as far as uh, Bob Cousy. Yeah. You know, Nate Archibald, Kenny Sparrow Washington, Rod Strickland, Stephon yeah. Marbury, Bobby Hurley, Mark Jackson, Rafer Austin, and yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know I, I, was, I lived in Detroit, and I taught during the late 80s and early 90s there, and I think they had about 20 guys that went pro. Yeah. But it was nothing like that. You got a list of all stars right there yeah. and all the famers. You do, but a lot of us, you know, we choose to do, you know, go the wrong way. You know, some guys academically is strong, 
with the basketball. Some guys just play basketball, play basketball, and it's just the way they You know, once they recognize – oh, I'm sorry, Coach. Yeah, just in life, you know, they had a a bad calling. So they went to drugs, um, you know, playing ball, alcohol, and what have you. It's a bunch of those guys that just didn't make it because they didn't have the right guidance in their lives at the time. Yeah, and I remember in the movie, they, if they recognized that you were going to be a good ball player, they tried to keep you out of the streets. Yeah, that's that. That was my that was the guys in my neighbor in the eighties, night, and then it changed a little bit. You know, I was around. My whole family was doing wrong, but they seen I had a blessing to play basketball, and I loved it. So they they kept me away from all of that. Now, with all those great New York point guards, who did you idolize in New York City? I, I idolized Tiny Archibald, uh, Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson, Kenny Smith, Pearl. Pearl, my guy, he, he passed away. Pearl Washington was yes. a guy in New York. You know? But those are, those are my guys who I paid attention to. You know, uh, Kenny Patterson, Boo Harvey, those great point guards, you know, I wanted to be like them growing up. I just have one question about the uh, game against uh, Duke. What were you thinking when you made that move on Bobby Hurley in college? Yeah, everybody always asks about that, but I wasn't thinking about nothing. It was just instinct, you know, wow. I, and that's what I played my whole life with, the game of basketball, my instinct. So I worked on my game extremely uh, in the Lost Battalion Hall Recreation Center in in Queens, New York. I stayed in there, and I just worked on my game. So I played a lot. My game was just bought off instinct, getting to the hole, finishing the basket, and uh, being that, that, that playmaker. Now, when you were at Georgia Tech, I know Bobby Crimmins is real good friends with a man named Ben Job. Yes. And Ben yes. Job was a fist guy that uh, – yes. Yeah. He used to coach at um, – where did he coach, Kenny? I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I'm not Southern, someplace Southern. in the South. Southern, Southern University. Yeah, Southern. Yes, yeah. yeah okay, what was, was your most – Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. No, you were talking. I, they don't want to listen to me. They want to hear you. No, it was it was great. You know, when I got the job, I didn't know when I coached at Fish University on a, on a small level here the NAIA. I love it because I could, you know, give back. And I wanted to be, I wanted to give back just like my high school gave, my high school coach, Jack Curran, rest in peace, gave gave back to, to myself and others. So um, Ben Joel used to uh, coach at, at, at Fisk. It's a small HBCU, but I, I just love it. We, we had like seven or eight guys, uh, on the honor roll, they graduate and they're doing extremely well. So I'm giving them the, the gift of life, you know, what, how I, how I came up and basketball is student athletes. That's what we, that's what I'm trying to get. Here. And, um, you know, I, I, anything you do in life, you want to win, but you want to do it the right way. And that's what I'm preaching. Now with so much success academically with the team, do you have an well, I have a what? I'm sorry. The kids, because it seems you. like it's doing real well. I lost you. What'd you say? 
I, do you have an academic advisor or a system set up? Because it seems like the no, kids are we, doing well. Yeah, yeah. We're, 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 I'm, we're grinding it out. They're doing it. We're, we're having, we have some help, but um, we have help. And I've been there for three years, and next year and so on, we're getting better. But the kids are real strong-minded individuals. I got some good kids, man. I really enjoy coaching them. Um, and um, you know, we're doing great, man. We're doing great. It's gonna turn. It's gonna turn for us athletically. But right now, we just gotta, you know, go through the, the hard times. Just play, 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 play hard, practice hard, and do well in school. And then, boom, we'll get it. That's what I always preach to these young men. Great. How, now, how did you get in coaching after your pro career? Uh, I wanted, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the president of uh, FISC, um, Rome, who was here, you know, that's how I, he went to Morehouse. I went to Georgia Tech. That's how he hired me and went from there, you know. And he, he said the program needs a lot of work, but you know, I was the guy. You know, I'm the guy for it. It's just, it was just great somebody having that much confidence in, in me get it done now coaching at Fisk you're in the uh, Gulf Coast Athletic Conference yes and we talked to their uh, the uh, chairman of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference yes and she was telling us about the pod system that the yes. GCAC uses wow. where you play three games in the same place versus three different teams on different Shit. nights how do you like that uh, this is my first year, you know, we're competing next this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now, it's 50-50. I really, for the kids, I, I really don't, college kids on this level, it's going to be really difficult. You know, you got to have a, you know, 12 to 12, to, you got to have a team, you know, playing that many games that soon is really tough on their bodies and things like that. And then we're back in school, academics is going on. So it's just really tough. And we're just trying to um, see what, as uh, far as the money and um, everything, they got to get the, this, this our lead, the GCAC lead, you know, better, you know, and, and that's uh, not say so. But to compete is good. One game, you know, that's what we should do, you know, and then move on, you know, two two games a week, you know, is fine with college mm -hmm. college students. They got, you know, other things they got to, you know, get their mind and their, their body set up on with practice and things of that nature. It's just tough. And it's going to be tough. But this is the first year. I'm interested. Next week we'll see it. You know, it's going to be tough. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you guys don't have, like some of the schools are gone the whole month of December. I know Jackson State went on a road trip to the Big Ten. I think they even went out west a bit. You know, and I think that really kills the spirit of the kids when they have to be away from school for yeah, a month. Not only that, the competition level. You got to be you got to be wise. We're in the NAIA. You could we like we play uh, T, uh, T, uh, Tennessee State. We play in Austin P. Those two those two games, and then then you come down. You play the the level your your own level. I think mm -hmm. it's good. You know, for those kids. The morale, the morale of, of, of competing. You can't play three, you know, four or five games of Division One school just for the money. It's, it's also for the, the character of the, of the young man and, and team that you're coaching. So I, I believe two games is good, you know, 
out of range. And two years in a row, we were able to beat TSU. So you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. We 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 close. <laughs> we, we got a good day. We lost for about eight, ten points. I'm gonna get there. You, know, I've been in coaching for three years. That's what I want to do. Oh, oh, I think you're gonna get there. Help me my championship. <laughs> nah, I think you're gonna get there, coach. Yeah, but you know, uh, one question I had I was gonna ask: How do you like coaching? But just listening to you talk yeah. and the passion that you're yeah. talking, I think. I know you love it because you have to. Yeah, um, it's, 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 I'm, I've been doing it for three years, so it's kind of early right now. But um, and I know what I have to do, and I'm right there, man. I'm right there. You know, getting these guys to come along, getting the, the, the right, the right group, the right team together, coaching staff working with you. I'm right there, and I learn. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about coaching. So uh, that's a blessing, you know. Uh, I'm, you yes, know, I'm, it I'm, is. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable at times, uh, at times. But that's how you learn. You got to be uncomfortable, you know. Well, I've seen you coach, and I know you're intense. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I got to calm down I, on that. I, 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 yeah, man. I want to see you run for because I remember the first time I saw you. Yeah, you were intense. Yeah, I, I, I got to. I got to calm down. My sister say I got to calm down. But I just be trying to push the guys. You know, the guys know I love them and they know how hard I go, you know, for them to do the, play the right way. Team basketball, play the right way, and we all win. I have a follow-up question for that. What What did you feel like – why did you feel coaching was your calling? Just like you said, you, you're new to it and it's uncomfortable. And so I'm just yeah. wondering what – why you felt coaching was definitely your calling. Coaching, just coaching people, you know, it, it don't have to be basketball, be, you know, just, I think I'm, everything I went, went through in my life, and if I can, I can help one person, you know, get over the top, I, I did my job, you know, I mean, um, and that's all, you know, and I know with this young man that I'm coaching, you know, not just on the basketball court, but in life, I can really help them, because I've been through so much in my life. Um, basketball is easy. Life is hard. That's the slogan of my documentary, Mr. Chibs. It's on Amazon, so y'all should watch it. It's great. It's great. But um, Mr. Chibs, the Kenny Anderson story. So I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm happy right now what I'm doing. It's a, it's a blessing that I'm coaching these young, these young men. I'm that I'm able to, and believe it or not, it helps me. It helps me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also had another question about um, you were talking about how you're turning it around, like turning the program around. And um, I watched your second act segment on CBS and you spoke about community and getting kids to buy into what you're trying to do. And obviously, we all know that the exposure level for HBCUs is drastically different than like powerhouses. And so I was wondering if you had any challenges, like if any. Um, as a coach for getting athletes to buy in on trying to build a program compared to like athletes who've signed up to powerhouse programs who, you know, quote unquote, have more to play for, you know, with like more exposure and going to the league and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, I got about six, seven kids that's, that brought, that's brought in. But then you got these other guys just wishing, you know, they just come in to play basketball. Uh, to make it to the NBA, and we don't. This school, it's education, student, student athletes first. 
first and foremost. And so kids are buying in slowly but surely, but I got to try to get them in here. But the kids want to play basketball, you know, go to some, go to a D1 school and, and good luck, you know, you know, um, and that's where I'm, I stand with that. But I tried to, because it's 450 kids, young men in the NBA. It's like a 1% chance, you know, so you got to have something to fall back on. So education is very important, especially, you know, in 2024, what's going on right now. So playing the game, yes, I got two kids that played for me overseas, got them, you know, contracts and stuff like that overseas, and they still, you know, doing well, you know, in, in, in life right now, and they're young. So um, I, I know on this level, overseas, you can bet on it. If I could get them over there with deals, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there was a uh, NBA camp, and I think you had about four of your kids from last year were in this camp, yeah, elite two. camp. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're gonna do that every year. They're gonna do that every year with the NBA, with the HBCU in Vegas. Uh, about three, four days, we worked them out, and then they played in front of scouts. So, and they're gonna, you know, I, I gotta I pick like two kids, you know, that senior that's finished with their school and everything like that and they can get over there so that that's was that was great and i hope we can continue that i have another Coach, question go ahead Hunter. yeah so we've seen uh what dion's done for jackson state and ed reed's now coaching at bethune cookman and you've been at fisk for three years so i was just wondering from your perspective can you speak on the importance of prominent black athletes choosing to coach at hbcus instead of bigger known schools like what does that do for the program and like what does it do for the the student athletes it's awesome it's awesome and more more should you know try to and i know i know you know i'm not going to say names but some guys was here, you know, coaching the HBCU, and they they got fired and things of that nature. But I think it's uh, especially guys on that caliber of players. Eddie George is at TSU, um, Deion Sanders was at Jackson, and now Bethune Cookman, the coach. You know, I think it's awesome where you know ex pros is is giving back to these young men, these young black black schools. You know get these job opportunities to, to, to see we can coach and we're, we're able to do it. And then you can move on if you like. That's what you want to like. I know me. I want to build. I want to build fists. I want to build fists. And that's my goal. That's my goal. You know, um, and um, I'm, I'm looking at different programs and it's taking a bit from bit, bit, little bit here, a little bit, but um, I'm going to get there. But it's nothing but respect for all the, the black men that's coaching at HBCUs. Nothing but respect and they do a they're doing a great they doing a great job. Great job. Perfect. Thank you. Coach, I want to just jump in this cliff. You have a yeah. question in the chat from yeah. Jeff Butts. Uh as you know, many boys use basketball yes. it seems uh as a way or a ticket out of the hood. But those actually advance often fall into the pitfalls such as financial, family, drugs, lack of education. What three things would you do differently if you could start your basketball or your life journey again? Wow, that, that's a good one. But 
you know, uh, literacy, liter literacy, um, financial literacy. I would really, you know, take a take a real deep deep into that. You know, mm -hmm. our, our finances. Once you get it, how uh, you keep it. You know, and uh, 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 that that's that's my number one. That's my number yeah. one thing. And just because I was, you know, always uh, a great team player, teammate, great leader. But finances, you know, I just wanted to do and help so many people. And you really, you, you can't do that if you if you're trying to build your wealth up, you you and your family's wealth up. So um, that's what I would really get into finance, you know, really concentrate on that level. And, um, you know, um, I see, like you said, a lot of our young players, players, whatever sport, they fall victim to alcohol, drug abuse, and things of that nature, and the high spending habits, and the women, and things like that. And you got you to curve that. You got to curve mm -hmm. it. You got to curve it. You got to compete. And, uh it just that, but that's basically what I would really, you know, hit 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 with, you know, go with financial literacy and um, just being a right teammate. A lot of a lot of us is just selfish, you know, selfish, and you can't win like that. Coach, I want you to speak on. This is Cliff. I want you to speak on the influence of your high school coach because today yeah. there are so many young men that not even making it out of high school or some even the ninth to 10th grade. And I'm not just talking about basketball players. I'm just talking about the, the statistics, but tell me the influence that, and I want to say the name, right? Is it coach Karan who coached you? Jack Curran. Jack Curran. Okay. Tell me about that. Cause he took you as a ninth grader out of the Queens and tell us about it, coach. Influence. That's, that's my, my, his influence. That's my foundation right there. I went to Archbishop Malloy, played varsity as a freshman. It wasn't done. It just it wasn't happening. I didn't start my first, I didn't start my first year. Came off the bench second, third and fourth quarter. And it just wasn't the basketball. It was the teachers there. I went to Archbishop Malloy as a Catholic school. So I had to pay tuition for that. And uh, a friend of the, a friend of mine, Howie Lawrence, who rode a taxi and he worked for Con Edison, paid my tuition. He had no no relationship with my mother, but he played. He paid my tuition. It was, you know, and um, it was just about growth. Kenny Anderson growth. I, I, 14 years old, so mm -hmm. you know, it was. I was able to learn, you know, learn from him and see how he carried himself, see how he coached the team. And it wasn't just him. It was the, the coaches. It was the teachers. Um, you know, Brother Terrence passed away. Um, Brother uh, Terrence passed away. Uh, he was a math teacher. Miss Longerano was, was, was a math teacher that helped me. I remember getting an 85, 86 on my math and regents, regents exam. You know, um, biology. I just had so many teachers that helped me. And I, I, I went to school from 7.30 in the morning to 9 at night for four years and went home mm -hmm. and slept and woke up and did the same thing. So I had a routine, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that's and coming from the hood. I came from mm -hmm. the hood, but I went to school with different culture, uh, Chinese, white, 
you know, black, everybody is different. So my whole upbringing was so much different than my friends. And, and I knew that. And they knew I, I had a goal in mind. And my goal was to take care of my mother. And yeah. I knew I could do that by playing ball. So I just went full, full throttle, just concentrated on school, basketball, school, bat. That's that was my life. Mm-hmm. Now tell me the influence, and then I'm gonna come to Dr. Marlow and then Dr. Terry for a question for you. The influence of Coach Bobby Cremins at Georgia Tech. Oh, he was, he was great. Those those six years, um, four years at Malloy. Uh, two years at Georgia Tech. That was the best time of my life playing basketball. Uh, Coach Crimmins, he's from the Bronx with the Old Hollow High School. Um, he recruited me, and I loved him. You know, he, he, he let me run the team. He just gave me – it was kind of like a <laughs> flashback my high school day. I was like, wow. You know, it was just crazy. You know, he let me run the team, be that point guard, that leader. They brought it out of me, so I had to become a coach. Because I was a leader at, at, when I was a freshman at Georgia Tech with Dennis Scott, Brian mm-hmm. Oliver, uh, Malcolm Mackey. They gave me, at about the 10th game of the season, you know, he was like, yo, you know, here's the ball. You just run the team. <laughs> Practice and all of that. I just <laughs> ran it. I, you know, I, I, knew what it, I knew what it took because I went to a basketball school, academic school, and Malloy. So, yeah. and, and I fit right in, you know. And I always, um, I was so humble. I'm not, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that type of kid that uh, that talked a lot. That was all, uh, all talk. I just did what I had to do to get it done, mm-hmm. and I got it done. You know, that that was it. It was a blessing. Now let me ask this to you, Kenny. Yeah. Do you think the uh, high school coach has as much importance as it used to, because of the AAU is just blown up? <laughs> So, you know, the AAU coach, a lot of times, that's where they go to recruit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't want to do that. I, it, yeah. No, no. The high school, no. My high school coach meant everything to me. Now, high school coaches don't even deal with it. It's the, it's the, it's the AAU coaches and the, 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 money, the money guys that's dating the moms and all this mm. other nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's, just, it's just crazy. I, I just crazy. So, I got to recruit the right kids for my program yeah. and I know that and so that's where I go after so the talented kids is, is you know so talented super that wants to go to the NBA and one and done you know you gotta <laughs> I got, you gotta go somewhere else man you know because yeah. I understand what you're looking at and what you're trying to accomplish you know yeah. so that's just the way it is that basketball has changed a great deal yeah. a great deal so when I played it I played for the love of the game yeah. uh, some of these kids playing for the <laughs> the love of the materialistics what you get and the, the money and the fanfare and all this other nonsense well I look Dr. at Kim. Cliff's team go ahead uh, Coach Anderson this yeah. is it's a pleasure speaking with you um I grew up, you know, looking at you all, especially when when uh, Jim was listing some of those great point guards. Yes. Um, to, if it was a couple of things that you could could name that you wish that you had in Tennessee from New York, <laughs> what would it be? Uh, Tennessee to New York. No, I see, <laughs> see. I grew up in Atlanta, so my 
see, New, New York was, I, I'm from New York, but I went to school in Atlanta and I stayed. I never left. So, oh, man, New York had everything. But I wasn't, <laughs> I was 18. I really couldn't get, I really couldn't get there. So I went to Atlanta, and Atlanta was great. It was, at the time, 80, uh, 89 to 90. I was in Atlanta. So it, so many things. You know what? Honestly, and my wife, I tell I had everything in my life. Everything. <laughs> everything. And I can't even lie. I, I, I can't even lie. I'm only 52 years old. I experienced so many different things. I had everything in life. So that's why I'm trying to give back to these young men. I had everything. So I, you know, I don't know what, what is there for me to get. Nothing, you know. But <laughs> I gotta give. I gotta give back. That's my calling. I gotta give back we have to a, these young men. We have a few minutes left. I'm gonna ask if, if, uh, if soon to be Dr. Terry Williams, who's also a pro on the women's yeah. side, yeah. has a question for you. Okay, Terry. So what people don't know is that, yes, you've gotten involved with coaching sports and, yes. and at HBCUs, but you were involved with mentoring young community yes. members that didn't have a lot of support at home for much longer than people realize. So yeah. can you just talk about where this um, – really it's the gift of giving back, where yeah. it was instilled in you and – if you don't mind telling me, how did you come to meet Quan? He's like a little brother to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember because you know this is on me. I tell y'all, this I don't like talking about my my, my health. I had a stroke like two mm -hmm. years ago, mm -hmm. so some I don't remember a lot of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm sorry, but if I don't remember Quan, I, I know I helped so many people. I helped him, you know, get his life. Right, but that's everything falls back on my high school coach Jack Curran, and then, then I then I'm living, you know, two years I I could have died, you know, when I had my Lord's with you, Lord's with you, man. Yes, that's, yeah. That's prayers. That's what, that's what everybody. No, that's I know. That's a known fact. Mm -hmm. He wasn't finished with me. He yeah. wasn't finished with me. So I gotta do the right thing, and and just give back, give back, give back, and sometimes. My family, you know, they was like, you know, you're doing too much. So they say I do too too much, but I want to just help as much as possible, you know, um, to just to give back. And that's just, and I and I get all of that from my high school coach, my high school, Archbishop Malloy High School. And I think my, you know, the things that I went through in my life, it's not so much NBA. NBA is a business. NBA is a business. You know, it was like I and I always say this. It was like my six years, four years at Malloy and two years at, at Georgia Tech. That was my that was my, um, my my growth. You know, my my little growth period there where I realized, yo, I could get back. I can help these young people once I make it. And that's what I always wanted to do. And um, this, you know, gave me the opportunity to coach basketball, but also I could help. I could many different things here 
in Nashville, which is a very nice town. But Fisk University is the HBCU, and I'm a part of it. And um, yes, you are. I'm a part of it, and I love it. But I, yeah. I'm just trying to get everything in order here. And once we get it in order, it's all it's going boom. It's going to blow up. And I hope I'm a part of that. You will. You are. You will, Coach. Before I turn you back over to Jim, and we're about to close, um, giving back, one of the things, and I'm going to let Hunter get the last question in uh, before Jim kind of helps us close out, because she just finished college, and she actually wants to go into sports broadcasting. So this is a tremendous thing for all of us, but for her at this stage of her career, to be on an interview with Coach Kenny Anderson yes. and Miss Terry Williams, and, and and we thank you for that. So Hunter, and then Jim, and then we'll probably close it out. Hunter, go ahead. Uh, I think we kind of have to end it with wh- who are your top five point guards in the league right now? Oh yeah, I, uh, I like I love Damian Lillard, uh, Steph Curry, yes, Kyrie Irving. Ah mm-hmm. uh, man, and then um. Oh, uh, Jalen Brunt from New York, um, Brunson. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's four. And uh, uh, Tatum, I, you know, I got a point guard. They <laughs> said Tatum, you know, I'm a Celtic, you know, I'm a Celtic. I played there five years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love his game. He's like, he's the MVP in my my book right now. Jason Tatum, he is. he's doing so those are the great, yes. but 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 once it's it's so many great point guards in the game of basketball and the NBA, you know it's hard to it's hard to really pick a pick pick who's one, who's two, who's three. Everybody is awesome. Now I know Kyrie grew up in New Jersey, but could he yeah. can be considered a New York point guard? No, no, he can't. He ain't from the streets. He ain't from the streets of New York. Man. Oh, okay. He, he grew up. He, Irvin, his yeah. uh, father is Rod Strickland's. You know, Rod Strick is his god uh, father. Yeah. So he grew up. They, he grew up in the nice side of town. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he got that filthy handle though. Yeah, oh no, his, his game is filthy. His whole game is awesome. Well, Coach, well, uh, go ahead, Jim. You know, I appreciate you coming on and being patient with us through the trying to get you on and everything. And no, you even coming in when, you. man, no, we enjoyed this interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, we love you and want to support you in any way we can at Fist. Yeah, I, I, come, man. Come to the games Friday, Saturday. We got the, we got the three games, you know. So we look oh, forward to it. it's the first to the pod. Yeah, the first of the pod, we're looking forward. I, you know, I just want these guys to play hard and play together, play the right way. And um, that's what I'm trying to preach. And um, they, they, I, I preach till, till they won't hit, till they hit me. If you ain't <laughs> doing it, you just won't play. <laughs> well, they'll hear it then, Coach. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what they do nowadays. They got to do yeah. it. They got to do it. Mm-hmm. Coach Anderson. We want to say thank you so much. We um, we here at this show, as you know, stress HBCU sports, women's athletics. One of our parent shows, which we were birthed from, was Mark Jones and Friends. 
So for NBA, NFL, Big Ten, Pac-12, Jim, uh, Mark, Carl, uh, Jack, and Reggie, every Wednesday night, 9 to 11 Eastern Time, 9, 10 a.m., WFDF on Mark Joseph friends. He's also a Fiskite. Jim's a Fiskite, and I'm a Fiskite. So again, Coach, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we will definitely, everybody, see you back in 168 hours from now. Thank you so much. Let's go, Bulldogs. Thanks so much now. Let's go. Let's go, Bulldogs. There you go, Coach. All right, Coach. All right. Thank you so much. All right, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Miss Terry. Thank you so much as well. All right, now. Thank you both. All right. Good night.